Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. As 2020 is upon us, the election is heating up both nationally and locally. In Congress, there are record low approval ratings, but those in office get re-elected at a staggering rate. Oregon's 4th Congressional District has been held by the incumbent since 1987, and our guest today is on a mission to change that. Though facing an uphill battle, she is steadfast on bringing about real change in Washington. Joining us next on the Spent the Rent podcast, Democratic candidate for Congress, Doyle Canning. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is Democratic candidate for Congress, Doyle Canning. Doyle, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning, Patrick. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you doing this on short notice. I had a different guest planned, and he no longer can do the podcast because he's representing a candidate for a state representative run, which is ironic because then I messaged James Barber. And I was like, I need to fill a spot. And he's like, I'm pretty sure I can get Doyle Canning to come on. We're pretty good friends. And I was like, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so good to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. It's really good because a lot of my audience isn't, uh, I don't know, avid activist pol- political people. But this gives a great opportunity for us to know the process of what it is to run for Congress and what you do to what you're trying to do to make change, you know, in Washington. So, so thanks again for doing this. This is awesome. Uh, So when did you decide that you were going to run for office? (laughs) Yeah, Um, it was a little over a year ago um, when Justice Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court. I realized that that the the political power was necessary to push back against the corporate power that was had basically taken over all the branches of our government. Right. And that that wasn't going to change unless everyday people stepped up and took some leadership and ran campaigns that were funded by the people and not the corporations. Right. And so I'm a mom. I have a four-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. And in 20... Uh, 18, I, w- I was spending a lot of time reading the the UN climate report that, that came out that basically said, we have 10 years to turn this thing around or the earth is right. going to die, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which means that that's number one issue, because how could it not be? Uh, right. And so, you know, I would spend my days reading those reports and then have to look my little children in the eye and think about, you know, 
in 2050, they're going to be my age. And what is their life going to look like if we don't step up and make some big changes now in this coming decade? Right. And you had mentioned the environmental impact. So you studied law at the University of Oregon Mm -hmm. and with a focus on environmentalism. Yeah. You know, I was really interested in how I could, you know, make change in the in the climate realm right. using law. And what I studied over the over the three years I was in law school was essentially that we don't have the laws that we need yeah. to manage this crisis. We need to upgrade the environmental laws we have and create a whole new framework for how we govern fossil fuels right. in this coming decade and beyond. And so that's what really inspired me to run for Congress. That's cool. And I, you know, I, I work as a barber on campus. I talk about it a lot on the show and I talk to people in law school a lot and I ask them, are you getting into politics? Cause nobody, I think, I don't think it's common for people to go to law school with the intention to get into politics, but it's definitely a good path. You know? Sure. So, sure. When you study the law, you see, you know, the shortcomings, the, the way the deck is stacked right. against working people, people of color, women, you know, all these things have sort of been uh, over many, many years and a lot of litigation. Right. Um, in many cases, making it so hard. Right. Like a stacked deck. Mm-hmm. So we're going to uh, get into some policy stuff, but I wanted to talk also about the nonprofit that you co-founded, uh, Center for Story-Based Strategy. What is it that you guys do? So the Center for Story-Based Strategy is dedicated to helping grassroots organizations, you know, everyday people that are coming together trying to make change in their community. How can we use storytelling to help achieve that change? You know, I'm sure many of your listeners have had an experience where someone where you where you know you tell someone the facts of the situation and it doesn't change their mind sure. necessarily. But if you share a personal story about how it impacts you, um, then people are more open. Like you to, individually. Instead sure, of like, yeah, sure. Right. Or your community or, um, you know, human beings are wired for narrative. That's why a format like this is so successful. Right. Because we learn through through storytelling. And that's how we remember, imagine, dream, and create. And so, you know, the Center for Story-Based Strategy is all about equipping progressive movements with better storytelling tools and strategies. So it's preparing community organizers essentially mm-hmm. and training them. And that's cool because that's what you've done and that's you giving back. Mm-hmm. When did that start? So we founded the Center for Story-Based Strategy in 2002. Oh, cool. And wow. at that time, it was under the name Smart Meme. Okay. And people <laughs> looked at us like today. we had two two heads. Like they were like, meme? What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and we were like, you know, like viral ideas. Um and so we were a little ahead of our time back in sure. 2002, but you know the last uh, almost 20 years have have really borne out the theory that we started with, which was that movements can influence culture and spread ideas through viral stories. Right, and that's that's how that happens. You know that Oregon Life. My friend Tyler uh-huh. is the guy that runs it, and he started with a page on Facebook to make memes, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. now it's a huge brand and probably the biggest in Oregon and. So, yeah, 
Well, that's cool. And that's uh, where can people find out about that? Is that sure? It's Center for Story Based Strategy online and social channels. And you can find it at storybasedstrategy.org. And then people that are getting into community organizing, it's kind of it's brought to the forefront to them. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that's cool. So we're going to get into policy uh, and then we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Policy that you on your website, canningforcongress.com, which I'm going to say a bunch of times during the show. Check that out. It's in the show notes as well. If you're too lazy to type it, you can click the link. So uh, policy questions. Obviously, you mentioned climate change, but I mean, I don't know if we need to go farther into that. We can. But why is that number one? Obviously, you, you can talk on that. Sure. I think for those of us here in Oregon who live a bit, a little bit closer to the land, you know, who maybe make our living on the land sure. or grow and the, and grow a garden ocean. or yeah or work on the on the ocean or work in the forest you know we see the changes that are happening in real time um, we see the ways that the salmon are not coming back we see the ways that the douglas fir trees are drying up um, this is because of the climate situation it is moving faster than scientists thought that it would 20 years ago you know where we are now is where in 2000, they thought we'd be, you know, maybe 2050. Right. So, you know, we need to, <laughs> we need urgent sure. change now. And the most important um, aspect of that change is transitioning off of fossil fuels. And we have so many of the solutions that we need to do that. Right. And the, the policy of the Green New Deal of creating millions of jobs in renewable energy is overwhelmingly popular with the American people, regardless of party. People right. think it's a great that's idea. A, that's what I was going to get at. Yeah, because <laughs> we're going to kind of go back and forth with this common thread that I wanted to go over, because when you become con- when you win the office, you'll be representing both Republicans and Democrats. And this is such a hard sell in Oregon on, for the more conservative people on climate change. Like, how do you like they... You can definitely be a Republican and care about the environment, especially mm-hmm. if you're a hunter, camper, mm-hmm. you know, out, out woodsy person. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what's tough is if these businesses like like we just saw it with, you know, the line of trucks going down to protest mm-hmm. the green. Mm-hmm. New, what was it, the green new bill in Oregon, essentially clean energy jobs? Yeah. yeah. And so it's such a tough sell to some of the conservatives. Mm-hmm. What would you do to kind of bring them in? I mean, I guess just show showcase what we agree on, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, I think across the board, Oregonians understand that um, the way that corporations have so much influence over politics right. means that we lose out. Yeah, And um, that's why the Green New Deal is so exciting, because it's about creating jobs and creating strong local economies in industries that... Aren't. My neighbor is actually, he's, he's, he's arguing. He's protesting with revving his engine. I don't know if you can hear that on the mic. But anyway. With industries that aren't going to pollute our communities and, you know, um, threaten the future for our kids. Right. And we can do that. You know, southern Oregon off the coast has some of the most promising potential for offshore wind in North America, if not the world. You know, we could lead the country in our offshore wind uh, energy generation capacity. If we had the leadership to really fight for that and to fight for the manufacturing jobs that that would bring to come to Coos Bay, right? And so those are areas where Oregon has all these natural assets. You know, we have this incredible offshore wind potential. We have 
OSU has been doing this research into tidal energy for over a decade. It is ready to scale if right. we had the infusion of investment to scale it. And we have these incredible ancient forests right here in this district that are as important as the Amazon rainforest in terms of the global climate for the situation. Lo- for the lungs of the world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, you the know, lungs of the world it, are right here. It's funny because <laughs> I was ta- talking about like getting voters maybe across the aisle. It goes back to what we were talking about with the Center for Story-Based Strategy that you know, like an Aaron Brockovich situation where you're getting people that tell a personal story where they're getting sick from the what basically mm-hmm. these massive companies are doing, that hits home for people across the board. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, it's not a Republican Democrat thing when your kid Absolutely. is getting cancer from fracking. Right. You know, you know, that's something that can resonate with people on the right because yeah, they absolutely. see it personally and then they're like i don't care about the letter next to the name as much especially right. women that's where mm-hmm. women are are free agents when it comes to voting sometimes because mm-hmm. there's you know your number one issue can change mm-hmm. so that's good so that's climate change uh let's let's talk about on your website it says that you want to work towards an affordable future so what does that mean to you i think you kind of already mentioned some of it but we can go a little deeper yeah i think you know oregonians Uh, across the board and all over the country, people are struggling just to afford the basics, housing, healthcare, childcare, uh, higher education. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. The, The system is really stacked to favor Wall Street banks and big corporations. And we can change that right. if we have champions in Congress who are really willing to stand up to corporate power. And you know, that's why I'm running. Eugene has now the most unhoused people per capita in the United States. In the United States. It's wild. You know, we're leading the country in homelessness. Right. Which is shameful. Yeah. But little Eugene can't solve this crisis on our own. You know, this is, this is a larger structural crisis all over the West Coast. You know, the pressure on Seattle and the Bay Area, um, you know, the fires in California means people are moving up into Oregon and that puts additional pressure on. And, you know, so we need bigger structural change in how we structure the housing market in order to really solve this. I'm not saying there's not more that our local leadership in Eugene could and should be doing. Well, sure. But I'm I am saying that, you know, we need national leadership on housing. I mean, the one silver lining of it when you win the seat and you go to Washington, you can use that fact, that sad, shameful fact, as clout. That mm-hmm. like, look, I'm new in this seat, and as a freshman, is that what they call it still? Mm-hmm. You know, fresh woman, freshman <laughs> congressperson. That you, you know, you can use that clout to say, look, I, I come from a, a city that has the highest rate of homelessness in the world, in the nation, which is shocking and staggering. Yeah, and and we're gonna talk about homelessness completely in a little bit because it's such a major issue i mean it's mm-hmm. the number one problem in eugene and people are at their wits end i'm a i'm a independent contractor so i work i'm not a business owner so to speak but i work in a place that's all independently ran and we see it with people sleeping out front and it's frustrating and for the barbershop is a little different because there is a sense of community that still exists and we're very fortunate because of that so the mm-hmm. people that we asked to leave they're like okay brother like they're kind of we're like, you can't be here. It's kind of, you know, we, we can't have you on the stoop when we're trying to run business. And they're respectful about it. And we give them dignity. That's a big part of why. 
And so we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, an affordable future, Medicare for all, that kind of stuff, uh, healthcare in Oregon. James Barber and I did an episode about that in depth. Uh, we didn't talk about how to pay for it, which is, which is <laughs> funny. We talked about the need for it. And that goes back to what I was saying about kind of persuading people from across the board that there's an obvious need for healthcare, you know, mm-hmm. and paying for it's difficult. And that's something that I wanted to ask you about, because that is in how to make an affordable future, how, not how would you pay for it, but it's, I mean, I can answer the question for you in a sense that like it's taxing corporations, it's making them pay their, pay their fair share. So you can yeah, speak more absolutely. on that. You know, some of the biggest corporations in our country, Amazon, General Electric, Delta Airlines, all contributors to our congressmen, by the way, um, paid zero dollars in taxes last year. Zero, nothing. Right. You know, you and I get taxes taken out of our paycheck every week. Right. Um, like, we don't have a say in that. Um, but these big corporations are able to write the rules so that they don't have to pay anything. Um, that's got to end. Right. And when I'm in Congress, it will. And I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's fair for a Democrat to call themselves progressive if they do take money from major corporations, because essentially, what are you progressing towards? being the same that's called being a conservative right it's that simple so it's so i've had some challengers talk to me about some challenge the idea of of running against the current incumbent we're not going to use his name like it's a four-letter word everyone knows who it is no but i've had some of my friends question it they're like well he's a good representative and it's like okay well i mean our thing is going good right now for you in oregon and the answer typically is well no this needs to change this needs to change mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. 32 years in office mm-hmm. i mean 16 terms that's insane it's almost my entire life. Right. Um, and it's longer than the lives of many of of the people in, in this district. Um, so I think, you know, I'm running because there's an urgent need for change. Right. You know, the status quo is working for some people. They're not my people. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the planet is in, is in peril. You know, as a mom of two young children, I can't not do everything I can to make sure that they're going to have a future, that they're going to have a planet that is inhabitable. And healthcare, like you mentioned, you know, Oregonians every day, I'm sure many of your listeners right now are putting off going to the doctor, are rationing life-saving medicines, are sort of gaming out their whole, you know, when their deductible kicks in so they can like get a surgery at a certain time of year, even if it's not the time that they need it. Right. Right. I mean, that's just how the system of private health insurance works. And the whole system is designed to not cover you. I mean, that's literally what (laughs) it's for. It's ridiculous. Like, yes, it would be the the money aspect of it is what people are going to pay for it. And it's like, you're literally paying for something that you don't get to use now. That would be gone. <laughs> you know, it's just insanity. And so we, I think you know we're already paying plenty for yeah, healthcare. Yeah. Um, and the question is who's profiting? Exactly. And it's private health insurance companies who, as you say, like their purpose is to deny coverage and to um, ensure their continued growth and profits. At the expense of our health and often case, uh, oftentimes our lives. And that needs to end. You know, I'm running because I believe health care is a human right. Right. I believe denying someone health care is wrong. And um, I think the majority of Oregonians share that view. 
Medicare for all as a policy is overwhelmingly popular in this in this state. You know, the healthcare for all Oregon just passed a statewide um, law to to allocate the resources to study a Medicare for all solution for Oregon, which is great. You know, it'd basically be like an expansion of OHP. Right. Um, which I've been on OHP before. And it's it was um, incredible because when you had an, a situation, you just deal with it. Right. And that's, and but again, like Oregon it. can't solve this crisis no, alone. Totally. Like we need a national solution. Right. And that's that's why I'm running. Oh, I'm 100% in support of Medicare for all. And I'm even willing, to, I mean, personally for my taxes to go up. Because to me, the stress levels, I mean, we could, the laundry list of things that come from it, mass shootings that I directly, in my opinion, and I'm no expert, but I definitely think it's a mental health thing. I mean, and we could be here forever on that, but there's so many things caused by somebody not being able to be treated. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. that simple. Mm-hmm. And is there going to be issues? Sure. But is it going to be, it's going to be dealt with, you know, it takes time and we build it. But one thing that's going to be done is, is that poor people aren't going to just die in the streets, yeah. you know, you know, so. So an affordable future is something, and there's more details on your website, canningforcongress.com. I encourage everyone listening to check that out. Uh, so then also immigration, closing the borders at the, at the camps at the border. Cl- not closing. Yeah. Closing the camps at the border. You can speak on that a little bit more. Why is that one of your main three? Because on your website, those are the three sure. that you listed. Sure. I th- you know, for me, again, I have two young children reading the accounts of what's happening to these kids that are being taken away from their parents, some as young as four months old. Right. And it's done to Um, create intimidation. Yeah. Essentially just for politics. Yeah. You know, cruelty as a performance of white nationalists. Yeah. um, Agenda um, to punish and, um, and to harm. Right. People who are coming to this country desperately for to find some safety and to try to make a better life and survive. And um, it's wrong. It's unnecessary. And as a mom, you know, when I'm brushing my kids teeth, um, making them breakfast, you know, tucking them into their beds. And I think about these kids who are alone in a freezing cold dog cage essentially with a tinfoil blanket crying themselves to sleep i mean it breaks my heart right. and i don't know how it couldn't how people are just okay with it because these people <laughs> you know and people coming from like honduras where there's the crime is so mm-hmm. crazy that they're mm-hmm. you know basically going to be used as a drug mule or killed yeah i did an episode on daca and with a good friend ricky which i didn't even realize he was a DACA recipient. And that's the irony of it is is that these people are like, oh my God, they'll be telling someone to their face. They're like, can't mm-hmm. believe these people come in here illegally. And the person inside is like, I'm just going to leave it alone. That that was me. You know, he came here when he was 10 years old. So his parents brought him here. Mm-hmm. And I got some flack for that episode because people that um, were in support of DACA were like, it sounded like you were a little bit more critical of the parents too. We need to humanize that as well. And I was like, well, I mean, one thing at a time, it's tough when you're trying to do politically, trying to make a persuasive argument, you know, and you're trying to explain like these kids are coming here with their parents. They're not doing it and they're just doing what they're told. So it's a tough sell to some people because it is a problem with, with illegal immigration, but we have to deal with it humanely, you know? So absolutely. We have to deal with it humanely. And I think, um, this idea that somehow people 
should come legally. It's impossible. Um, and are, right. There's no way to do that yeah. in a timely manner when you're fleeing, you know, a country like Honduras that is um, that is facing like incredible political instability, climate is, fuel drought, is, you know, all these things that are going on there, which in many ways can be attributed to the policies of our country. I was country. just going <laughs> to say that it's literally the policies that we've created by yeah. this by this stagnant incumbent based Congress, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, that they continuously vote. Because, I mean, it's all economic-based where we can just basically steal and pillage from them. But that's a different story. But, but yeah, uh, yeah, that whole DACA situation and immigration coming here legally. It's funny that I'm citing this as the source that people need to turn to. But John Oliver on, on Last Week Tonight did such an incredible job of... Now, when you watch comedy or you listen to my podcast or you do different things, you're not going to end that there like we're just raising awareness and then you need to do your own due diligence to know that we're not pulling it out of our ass you know but like (laughs) it's true i mean and that's it you know so obviously i've started following your stuff on social media and i encourage everyone to follow or to follow uh canning for congress on facebook because you have done your research and you have we're going to talk about iran in a little bit and i can tell just by reading a paragraph that you know what you're talking about with it and that kind of stuff is really important. But yeah, John Oliver knocked it out of the park when it comes to immigration. So look that up on YouTube if you're listening to this and or on demand so that you can actually, you know, HBO gets their credit. But but uh, so let's talk about homelessness in Oregon. It's a huge issue. We mentioned it a little bit. What can be done? I mean, with Congress, obviously, you'll be in Washington advocating. So like you had mentioned before, the local government is, is really who has to tackle that. But wh- what can we do federally to change it? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I think Medicare for all is already one step, but sure. can you speak on that a little more? Sure. You know, we can talk about housing and physical places for people to live. That's so important. And I think we need to build millions of units of affordable housing in this country. Um, but also, like you say, people lose access to housing because of their larger economic situation. So a lot of times it is a medical emergency. It is, I lost a job. Um, I lost coverage. It is a loved one got sick sure. and drained our whole family's resources. And it's not just economic with that, you know? not to interrupt, but there's a guy that I used to talk to that he was homeless. And when I was in my early 20s and I'd sit on a porch drinking beer or whatever, seriously, that he would come around and he was in his 50s and I was talking to him and I was like, what, how did you how did you get to be this homeless person? Mm-hmm. He's always clean. He would shower at the YMCA. He always smelled like cologne. He's a good guy, but I was... Obviously, he was hanging out with us because he was drinking, you know, basically, and uh, he would buy us beer. But, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, this is where I came from. But uh, I was asking him, how did you get here? And he said that his wife had cancer and she was the love of his life, that she kept him structured. And I can relate to that because I'm nothing without my girlfriend, that she keeps me on the right path. So he, she, she died quick. Like it was stage four, found out she had cancer. She was gone in like three weeks. Jesus. And he drove... Uh, convertible, he said, Corvette. He worked, uh, he made like $75,000 a year, which is, they've said is, you're as happy as a millionaire, essentially. So, I mean, studies have done that. And then he just, it took him a year and he was homeless, you know, because he was like, I had no reason to live. And he's like, and why even try? And so that story resonated, like you mm-hmm. said, hearing people's personal story, it's like, it's just heartbreak mm-hmm. that, that took him. Now, I don't know what could be done to change that mental health is mm-hmm. really what it comes mm-hmm. down to is for somebody to be for him to be able to for one re- remove the stigma mm-hmm. you know 
And then, yeah, so that was a, it was a heartbreaking story, but it's not always just flat monetary, but Mm -hmm. yeah, the the homes, that's something that we need to do. Yeah. And you know, Congress can't, uh, change the zoning laws in Eugene, right? right? That's something Eugene has to do, um, in order to, to build more affordable units, build more apartments, et cetera. Um, but what Congress can do, Congress's main function is the power they call the power of the purse like congress controls the money of the federal government and approves the budgets and can offer incentives to states or counties or cities uh to do things that congress wants to see done right and so if we want to see more housing we can offer grants to communities to build it and um so that's part of my my housing plan well, that's good because that's, I mean, the homelessness in Oregon is, it's, it's coming to a head. I mean, it's coming to a point where people are starting to take, they're like, we're going to take this into our own hands if something's not done. And it's not like people, everybody says the same thing. They say, you know, I want to be, I want to have empathy. I want to care about these people, but it's getting to the point where the local government's not doing anything to where they're, it's hard for them to do that. You know? So that's, that's tough. Uh, Let's see what else I had here. Oh, one of the questions I wanted to ask because of the popularity of the person that you're running against, his claim on all of his street signs and yard signs and whatnot says, you know, he's as, quote, independent as Oregon. And I wanted to ask you, even though anyone that I talk to that's a Republican and I say I'm going to be interviewing a candidate for for office, she's running against uh, DeFazio and and. He's, you know, he runs as an independent. She's more of a progressive Democrat. So they say far left, but the reality is it's more humanitarian is what it really represents. What would you do to persuade Republican voters to vote for you in the general? Because the big fear is Art Robinson. He's 102 years old now. He's, he's run, he hasn't announced that he's running, but the big fear is that you would, would unseat the incumbent. And then in the general, I mean, I think the general excitement because it would get national news, just like, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So I think you would do fine in, in the general, but what would you well, do? Well, you kind of answered your own question there. Well, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Because it would be humongous. You know, it's, this is, I, I, I call it as I see it. So I said straight up multiple times that it's an uphill battle and you're aware of that. And, and I learned something from James Barber. And I, I don't want to think about plan B, but I learned something from James Barber when he ran his, his county commissioner race and, and he was defeated in the primary, but he endorsed the candidate, but he pushed the candidate to be more representative of his views. And that's what Bernie Sanders was able to accomplish mm-hmm, in 2016. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think you running is incredible. So this is about you. I don't know why I'm babbling and talking, but. Uh. <laughs> well, I think the question of uh, can our campaign win a general election? The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely. You know, this campaign is running on the issues that Oregonians care about you know like we were just talking about medicare for all a housing plan for the country a green new deal that creates jobs in rural oregon in renewable energy and forestry like that's our agenda and that's an agenda that resonates across this district i think um it was maybe surprising to some but not to us that our campaign is getting more pickup in Coos County, in Douglas County, in the rural areas that have been fighting the LNG pipeline for 15 years with no support from the Democratic establishment and certainly not the Republican Party either. 
Um, and so we have supporters down there who have been fighting this pipeline company, this Canadian fossil fuel corporation, Pembina, who's been trying to build this pipeline through Southern Oregon and this big LNG export terminal in Coos Bay. They've been trying it for 15 years and these communities have been have been organizing in a grassroots neighbor to neighbor way with really no support from the political establishment and um that's where our campaign is really uh thriving and um there are people who are supporting us from all walks of life sure some who are hardcore progressive democrats others who have never voted in anything in their life. Right. Um, and that's who this campaign is mobilizing and bringing in, is the people who have been traditionally overlooked by the, the Democratic establishment. Sure. Young people, rural voters, um, people of color, low-income, working-class people who don't see their interests reflected in the way that politics is generally run. And... Um, and so don't participate. And so we're really reaching out and registering new voters, encouraging independents to come into the Democratic Party because we're going to build a Democratic Party that fights for Oregonians. Well, and that's exactly, I mean, Oregon is such a direct reflection of the country in the way that you have the I-5 corridor and then you have the rural areas that, that they feel like they're forgotten. Mm-hmm. And not to give credit to Trump, I hate the person. But But that being said... <laughs> What they did masterfully in their campaign is they got people, they didn't, they're not going to do anything to actually help them, but they got them to feel like they were being heard. Mm-hmm. Now, I can see it in your eyes and I can, I can sense your heart that you're genuine about this, that you were working with people in rural communities in Coos, like you said, Coos County. That's huge because it, it does get forgotten. And so that's huge. And I mean, what is the region that you would be representing? Yeah, so your listeners should know the fourth district runs basically from Albany, part of Albany down to Corvallis, out to Florence, and then all the way down the coast wow. to the California yeah, border. Yeah. And then it's all west of I-5 with this little carve out of Grants Pass. It's kind of odd. Wow. Um, but so it's basically Eugene Springfield, Corvallis, Florence, Roseburg, Coos Bay. Those are the biggest towns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Every two years. So you're going to be doing this for, for the next 40 years. You're going to be in Congress. <laughs> I hope not. Because that's, that's it. That's it. Hopefully what it can do is it can inspire people. I mean, I think the ideal way is to win the seat, hold it for 10 years, maybe or whatever, 12 years, and then inspire people that work under you to take it over. And then you can ride off into the sunset or whatever you do after you're in Congress. Because right now you die there. That's what you do. But Yeah, I think, you know... The old model is to build a political machine that maintains power, sure. whatever it takes. And I think what we're building is a movement. Well, and that's, and, I mean, Bernie Sanders is, he's the, he's the Yoda model that he's inspiring all the, the younger generation to get involved. And that's the one thing that's the silver lining again, that is the undesired consequence of Trump is that it's getting people mm-hmm. to step up and actually learn about the process, mm-hmm. you know, cause I've noticed people that are even tuning into my episodes about the about politics on the podcast that they're not necessarily political people but they're like I got to do something you know sure yeah so it's huge yeah it's I did want to talk about uh you know one of the major things that congress does is allocate money for war basically right. and so the biggest 
story right now, and it's not just a big story. It's the future to our next possibly 25 years we'd be fighting this war. And after 9-11, the IUMF was passed, and it's the Authorization for Use of Military Force. Mm -hmm. And you can talk on this a little bit more, but what does that mean, and what is? why do you want to repeal it? So after, um, after 9-11, the the president, you know, said we need to we need to wage war of an undetermined time frame against undetermined people. Yeah, yeah. Just anybody that's considered to be a quote unquote <laughs> and, terrorist. Right. And so that's basically what the authorization of military force in two thousand one authorized. What is it gave the president the power to do that without a lot of congressional oversight or input. Yeah. And um and so that's allowed for you know the the war in Yemen, the the drone strikes that have been happening all over all, all over the Middle East um, under Obama. You know for the last decade or more, right? And and traditionally, you know, under the Constitution, like the 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 Constitution says that the president has certain powers, the Congress has certain powers, the Supreme Court has certain powers. And there's a balance between those. And that's what makes the government a democracy and not a dictatorship. Sure. Right? And so one of those powers that Congress has, as you said, is um, is the power of the purse, the power to authorize money. The Congress also has the power to declare war. The president doesn't have that power. Right. And that's there's a reason for that. And so the AUMF kind of in 2001 sort of backdoored that. Um, in my view. And the reason why it's so important for that power to remain vested in the Congress is because the Congress represents all the different districts all over the country. And um, going to war is one of the most important and consequential decisions that the government can make. Right. Across and it the should, board. Right. And... Um, so the call to repeal the 2001 AUMF is basically a call to like pull back that kind of carte blanche authority of the president to bomb whoever, wherever, whenever, as long as um, it's a quote unquote terrorist, right? And um, and so the situation in Iran that you're referencing, you know, there's a discussion, a, a, a legal discussion about was what Trump did a drone strike against this general who is a member of the government of Iran, um, was that authorized? Was that even authorized under right. the AUMF? In, because, on, in Iraq. So like... Right. In another on, country, even a third country. That, that, contrary to belief is an ally. Right. So without their approval. Right. Yeah. It's insanity. And then the fact... I mean, he makes this argument that he wants to do things without alerting the target necessarily. And it's like... I think we have a strong enough military that we can, they can know what's coming, you know, because yeah, by not alerting them, then you're invading. <laughs> then that's a, that's a war crime. So a little bit, I mean, I don't know what a mess. Right. It's, it's, um, not good. No, no. To sum it up. <laughs> and, and so we organized a demonstration yesterday along with communities across the country uh, to say no war in Iran, you know, and we lifted up the voices of veterans who served in Iraq yeah. and said, like, look, we're the war in Iraq is still going. Um, and 
these forever war, you know, that's what the 2001 AUMF authorizes, essentially wars that go on forever with no strategy, no objective, um, other than occupation and, and continued it, profit for the defense contract. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right? Because I was going to say it because President Dick Cheney in 2001, he was the vice president, but he was the acting president. He was the former boss Halliburton, of Halliburton. Right. And so these no bid contracts, I mean, it's not conspiracy people. This is fact, yeah. you know, that, that he basically by doing that and by using misinformation to get into Iraq that they had weapons of mass destruction, which everyone now knows they don't. So Trump got into office not only by criticizing policies of Obama that were unpopular, but by criticizing Bush. And now mm-hmm. he's doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. because there's so much money backing it and the powers that be like the person that you're running against that mm-hmm. has been... I mean, I think... I don't know if Tafazio voted against the Iraq war. I think he supported it. I can't remember. I think he voted against it. He's not a terrible candidate. Nobody's saying that. You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, and, and I'm just going to say that. Because we're going to vote Democrat in 2020 in November. Now, a date that's important. This is May 19th. This is for the primary. Mm-hmm. So you need to get out. Canningforcongress.com. You need to sign up for her Facebook page. Follow that. May 19th is the date. Now, don't wait till May 19th to mail it. <laughs> right. We'll be talking about that on the podcast a lot, about ways that you can get involved. And that actually gets me to my, my next question. What can people do to help you with this campaign? Awesome. Um, I think one important thing to note is that in order to vote in the primary May 19th, vote for me, vote for your preferred candidate that's going to run against Trump in the general election. Um, You need to be a registered Democrat in Oregon. Okay. Oregon is awesome because we have automatic voter registration and we have vote by mail. So So voting is really easy, but we have a closed primary right so you cannot vote in the democratic primary if you are not a democrat so if you want to vote bernie if you want to vote warren if you want to vote whoever you want to take on trump you got to be a registered democrat and um it's easy to do you can do it through our website you can go on canning for congress register to vote even if you're already registered you can check your registration just make sure um that you're registered and you can change it afterwards too Right. Sure. It's not like a lifetime commitment. Because people think they're like, I don't want to register as a party. And it's like, you're not donating money to them. You're just allowed to vote in the primary. Right. And if you want to have a say in who takes on Trump, you need to register as a Democrat. Right. And we're trying to build a party and a future for the party that will fight for these priorities long term. So, um, you know, that's 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 what this campaign is about, is about bringing people who are traditionally disenfranchised, marginalized, overlooked, taken for granted, and really building our power to define what the future political agenda looks like. And so anyway, check your registration, make sure you're registered as a Democrat if you want to vote for me, if you want to vote for um, whoever you want the president. to take on. Now that, that you can put on your, you can give a political answer here, but have you made your endorsement yet for president? No, I have no, not. No, so I have not. I'm Bernie Sanders pretty much all the way. I'm, I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Warren as well. I just think Bernie Sanders has been the champion for so long on the policies that we're all talking about. And he's pushed it to that point. So I feel like it's, I also feel like he has a strong enough base that the base of pretty much 30% of the country supports him. 30% of the country supports Trump and it's the people in the middle that we need to persuade. And so it's going to be a lot of scare tactics and all that craziness, but well, I appreciate you doing this. It's really cool to get to hear what you have to say and learn more about you. 
obviously we can't cover everything, so canningforcongress.com. Yeah, sure. And we have our headquarters. Uh, it's in the Whitaker. It's at 1492 West 6th. And we're there most every day. Come by any time. You can find out more about how to get involved. Um, and how. And the most important thing you can do is reaching out to your neighbors and the people that you know and saying, you know, are, are you going to vote? Are you registered Democrat? Who are you going to vote for? This is who I'm going to vote for. This is who I support. Um, hopefully that'll be that'll be me. Sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, do that, that grassroots community organizing. And like you said, there are so many people who haven't been tuned into politics, but 2020 is the time, right. like this is the moment. And we're going to have a surge of people coming into the political process in a way that we've never, right. never seen before. And I think, you know, we have the potential to really not just get Trump out, but to change the game. Right. And that's why I'm running. You know, I'm running a campaign that is 100% powered by individual donors, not corporate PACs. And if we want to see real change in our community and in our country, th those are the kind of campaigns we need to support. One thing too, uh, I don't want to confuse the listeners, but so you do have to be, I'm going to say this a bunch, you, you do have to be registered as a Democrat to vote in the primary. But there's also star voting if you live in Eugene, that that's being presented on the, is that going to be on the ballot? That's on the May ballot as well. Okay. So, so it came close last time, yeah. but didn't quite get there. So my understanding is um, star voting is also on the ballot which in is, May. Which is a huge Which is another great reason to vote. Yes. This is, and, and go back to my episode if you're listening to this about star voting, because we talked to Mark Fronmeyer and Sarah Wolf at length. And star voting is um, it would change the way that we vote to where we would have an open primary and that would be incredible. So mm -hmm. for the time being, you do have to be registered as a Democrat. I don't want to confuse people, but look into star voting and follow them as well. If you're listening to this on Facebook, because they're doing a lot of stuff so they can come to your office. R tell us the address again, 1492 West sixth. And a lot of what you're doing is canvassing, which is going mm -hmm. door to door and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's, yeah, we had our first canvas yesterday in Eugene and it was great. I yeah. mean, um, a lot of people were home. It's, you know, right after new year's people right. are, are kind of home chilling out after the holidays and wanted to talk. And it's officially 2020 now. So it's right. not like and we're... Right. So people are like, oh, the election year is here. Right. Because <laughs> the, the campaign started November 10th or something. It's to, September, yeah. And, well, I'm saying, no, your campaign, yes. Yeah. But like the campaign to, you know, to defeat Trump started November 10th, mm -hmm. 2016 or whatever. Before, right. You know, essentially <laughs> right. for, for a lot of us. Yeah. So I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, so canningforcongress.com. Uh, you know, I, I think it's great what you're doing and we're going to get the word out as much as we can. So thank you. Appreciate that, Patrick. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, remember OregonCashflowPro.com. Oregon Cashflow Pro is our title sponsor. We just did an episode last couple weeks ago with, with James Barber of Oregon Cashflow Pro. And that's great. And we always like to give them a shout out. I end every show with a song and with our talk of Iran, I didn't mean this to be tongue in cheek, but the song is called If the World Was Ending <laughs> and it's with a uh, former street performer named Sam Johnson, who's from San Francisco, but he has a feature on it. Sam girl, Samantha Schaffner, AKA Sam girl. And it's a beautiful song. I thought that we would end it with something like that instead of one of my snarky punk rock hip hop songs. So Doyle Canning, thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, you got it. Thank you. That name is Doyle Canning, canningforcongress.com. 
check that out. Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. So this is Sam Johnson featuring Samantha Schaffner, If the World Was Ending. I was distracted and in traffic. I didn't feel it when the earthquake happened. But it really got me thinking, were you out drinking? Were you in the living room, chilling, watching television? It's been a year now, and I think I figured out how how to let you go and let communication die out. But I know, you know, we know you weren't down for forever, and that's fine. But I know, you know, we know we weren't meant for each other and that's fine But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? You'd come over and you'd stay the night Or would you love me for the hell of it? All our fears would be irrelevant If the world was ending, you'd come over, right? The sky'd be falling while I'd hold you tight I know there wouldn't be a reason why Say goodbye If the world was ending You'd come over, right? Right? If the world was ending You'd come over, right? Mm-hmm. I tried to imagine your reaction It didn't scare me when the earthquake happened But it really got me thinking The night we went drinking Stumbled in the house and didn't make it past the kitchen Oh, it's been a year now Think I figured out how How to think about you without it ripping my heart out And I know, you know, you know You weren't down for forever and it's fine I know, you know, you know We weren't meant for each other and it's fine But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? You'd come over and you'd stay the night Would you love me for the end of it? All our fears would be irrelevant But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? Sky be falling while I hold you tight No, there wouldn't be a reason why We would even have to say goodbye But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? You'd come over, right? You'd come over, you'd come over, you'd come over, If the world was ending, you'll come over right